Well, greetings, everybody, and welcome once again to the Rec Poker Podcast. I'm your host, Steve Fredland, and we are sponsored by Running Aces. So thanks to Running Aces for being our official sponsor. Uh, This is the week that many of you have been looking forward to and asking about. Uh, The week that I finally get to sit down with Minnesota legendary poker player Koo Vang. Uh, Koo's a pretty young dude, but he's already 8th in Minnesota all-time earnings. He's 703rd in the U.S., and he's currently uh, ranked 216th in the world on the Global Poker Index. So uh, Koo is a wealth of information, but beyond that, he's just one of the super guys that I've met in poker. He's one of the guys that has continued to encourage me whenever I run into him uh, just by how he presents himself and how he is a, a promoter of the game. And so I think you're really going to enjoy this this conversation that I had with Kuvang. All right, everybody. Well, I am here via Skype with Kuvang. And first of all, Ku, uh, man, thanks for taking the time to, to chat with me today. Absolutely. You're, you're one of those guys that, you know, we do this rec poker podcast. We have a lot of uh, recreational players that are listening to this thing. And people are constantly, I was just in Grand Casino Mille Lacs, and people are like, hey, when are you going to have Ku on? We want to hear from Ku. And so uh, mm-hmm. I'm excited to make that happen for all of our listeners. Um, you and I, we haven't played a ton together. We've been at a couple final tables. We've done some All in for Africa stuff, but we haven't played a ton together. I've just been watching you and going, wow, this, this dude can play. So it's going to be fun to kind of pick your brain a little bit. Um, tell, let's just start, man, with kind of what, what's your background? Like, you know, who is Ku Vang? How'd you get into poker? That kind mm-hmm. of stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, well, first of all, it's, uh, you know, it's a pleasure to be here on the show. And, uh, you know, I've, I've listened to some of the podcasts in the past before as well. And uh, I, I think you're doing a very good job, uh, not only for recreational players, but for the whole poker you know community here in the state as well, too. So I really appreciate what you're doing. Oh, thanks. Uh, yeah. Oh, a little bit about my background. I, uh, I am kind of a product of that moneymaker boom back in 2003, 2004 uh, timeline. And so uh, once... Uh, Chris Moneymaker won the whole thing about 13, 14 years ago or whatever. You know, me and a bunch of friends, uh, we just started playing sit and goes like every Friday, Saturday nights. And uh, we all really got into it and we all created uh, accounts on party poker. And some of us just uh, got really into it. Uh, you know, I, I was very fortunate. I got very lucky in the beginning, ran really well and had some sort of uh, small success. So then I got really hooked onto it and, uh, that's kind of how it all started together for me. Well, it's so interesting because I, you know, I'll watch the World Series of Poker and they're always talking about the moneymaker effect and obviously the numbers are there, but I, you know, part of me always says, "Ah, oh, is that just overrated? Are they giving too much credit there?" But I keep talking to people like yourself that say, "No, mm-hmm. that literally was the moment when I thought maybe I should get into poker." Absolutely. It, it definitely was for me. Um, you know, I growing up, I've always just, you know, been, you know, uh, really into gaming and stuff like that as well. And once uh, Moneymaker won, I mean, we all believed that, you know, we could do it as well. We could all beat the pros. Yeah. And, and uh, once you get your hand online a little bit and start, you know, uh, winning a couple of sitting goals here and there, you know, you start to become, you know, you, you start to think that you're God's gift to poker, that you're the next Johnny <laughs> Chan. So that's that, that was definitely me for sure. Yeah. And so, so you played some live with your buddies and you played online. And then how did that kind of morph over time? Like how did that change – over time, did you become more into online, or did you become more live? Did you move from cash tournaments, kind of that? What's what's been your process to get to where you are today in terms of what you what you play? 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we uh, so we all you know got accounts on party poker and just basically uh, you know practice during the weekdays, and then we just meet up on uh, Fridays and Saturdays and play five dollars, ten dollars singles, and then uh, I think our game lasted for a couple of years. Eventually, uh, you know, it was a little tougher than whatever you know what everyone had imagined. Uh, so a lot of people quit, uh, you know, one by one. And eventually, the the game, uh, you know, people stopped coming to the game because it was a little, t- you know, you know. Um, because you kept taking all their money. No, 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 I won't say that. <laughs> but uh, I, I, I think I, th- I think everyone found out that poker is more of a hobby than you know something that uh, they like to pursue. And so, uh, in two thousand, in January two thousand six, I, you know, because because our game uh, was kind of dying, I started playing online uh, seriously. And so I took it. Uh, from there, I started in January of 2006, I believe, and so been grinding online for about three and a half years or so, set, uh, until up up until about 2009, and then I moved out to Las Vegas. I did that whole uh, professional poker thing, moving out of Las Vegas deal. Um, at the time, I had a you know I had my wife and I only had one child, so I thought it was you know. It was a good time to move out there and grind some cash game and do some tournaments out there. Yeah. Um, I actually only stayed out there for 14 months until about January of uh, 2011. And uh, Las Vegas just didn't work out for me. I, you know, I, I found out I, I spent the majority of my time out there playing online, uh, you know, five days a week and only one day at the casino. So it just didn't make sense for me to live out there. And eventually, after a while, my wife and kid also ran out of things to do, and they got really sick because all our family and friends are back here in Minnesota. So, yeah. uh, January 2011, we moved back, and the Minnesota poker scene was also booming uh, during that time. So I, I thought, I thought, you know, just moving back just makes the most sense. So when you moved out there, so prior to moving out there in 2009. You were playing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you were playing online, but were you also? Did you have a different job, or was that what you were doing for income, primary income? Yeah, no. the uh, The purpose of moving out there was uh, strictly to play cards, and yeah. uh, I, I I play some usually, you know, Friday and Saturday nights out at the casino. But the majority of the time was spent on uh, playing online. So okay, and so <coughs> at that point, it was you were already playing. That was your primary source of income. Moved Correct. to Vegas to make a sh- go of it. Decided, oh, I'm playing online anyway. People are homesick. Let's come back home and and uh, start routing the Minnesota players. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it uh, it, it I, I think the MS the uh, I, th- I think it was back uh, then. The, it was the Minnesota State Poker Tour. Yeah, had started up as well too. And uh, I came back for a visit in late 2010 uh, in October or or, or so in. Happened to won the Canterbury Classic. And I so saw that. That was your, your big score, 78K yes. or something, right? Yeah, so that really uh, so that really made the move back easier. I mean, uh, I thought, I, you know, I if, if, if I ever had a choice to move again, I don't think I would. I, I just think this is home. I think we our poker scene here is pretty good. And mm-hmm. so I just don't think there's uh, any reason to move anywhere else. Okay, and so you've back, been back ever since. And, and what, what are you playing now? Like, what... What are your? Uh, do you follow any of the tours? Do you go out of state for some of those things? Do you play just locally, and mm-hmm. then uh, kind of how do you split your time, cash and tournaments? Yeah, I have uh, been traveling the last couple of years. I think thirteen, fourteen, and fifteen. 
Um, I did a lot of traveling, you know, out of state, following the Mint States tours wherever they go. Uh, there was also, uh, other tours, HPTs, and sometimes flying out to like the Borgata for like the WPTs or out to LA and stuff like that. Um, I, I haven't in the last you know year and a half or so just because my family's growing down and I'm you know required to be home a lot more now than I have in the past. Mm-hmm. So I haven't been traveling, but. Every time I do travel, it's 100% tournaments, and when I'm home, it's usually about 95% tournaments and about 5% cash games. Uh, you rarely see me at you know and at the local car room playing cash games just because I'm just so more you know used to playing online, you know, like uh, multi-tabling, the faster pace, and I think it it works out a little better for like the ROI. So okay. Oh, it's very very cool, and you know, let me just take it take a chance to just say, man, you're one of the great ambassadors of the game here in Minnesota. I'm sure that people are after you all the time to to represent them just because of the way that you present yourselves you're yourself. And one of the one of the things I really enjoy about you is uh, you you've always made playing the game fun for those of us who are less experienced. So you know, every time I'm at a table with you, I like man, I really enjoyed that experience. Even though you may take my chips. And you may be <laughs> bullying me with your play. <laughs> um, you know, I, I just I just appreciate that. And I think for any of the uh, the folks that are listening out there, I think one of the and I'd love your thoughts on this, but I think one of the best things that people can do to grow the game is to um, to encourage people that are less experienced at the tables and not uh, not berate them when they make a bad play and and all those sorts of things. Correct. I you know I I, I love the game and I you know I, I I see myself doing this for a long time, so I definitely want the game to grow. And the numbers do show that the game is still growing. You know, everywhere across the country, MSPT are breaking record. Uh, you know, HPT are breaking record. WPTs are breaking record. So even though they're having all their tournaments on the same weekend, or 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 if it happens to land on the same weekend, they're still breaking numbers everywhere around the country. So I think uh, <clears throat> it is an obligation for all the pros to. Uh, to help grow this game as much as possible, and and you know make it fun for everyone else that is at the fell. Yeah, I think it's part of it is I think you're just personality, is you're just a good guy. But I think for the people that struggle with being a good guy, I would say challenge yourself to at least pretend you're a good guy because that's going to draw <laughs> us out there, and your your prize pools are going to get bigger and bigger. Correct. Let, let's switch gears real quickly. Uh, as you look at your game, as you look at the success that you've had, and you know part of this is we never. As observers, we never really know the whole story. You know, we see the big caches, but we don't know all the time and effort that goes into that. We don't know all the money that gets spent in buy-ins and all the costs of being a professional poker player and all of those things. But, you know, from from everybody's perspective, we feel like, you know, you're one of those success stories. You're sitting there, Global Poker Index, you're ranked number 216 right now. I don't even know if you're aware of that. You're eighth all-time in Minnesota earnings. So you've had a ton of success from our perspective. But, like, as you look at your game, what... What are the keys to success? I mean, are are you just naturally gifted in this game, or is it a result of hard work? Is it something in your personality? Uh, what what would you say at a high level are some of those things that just have made you a successful player? Um, you know that's 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 you know that's a very interesting question. Uh, I uh, I'm really glad that you asked that, and I I don't think I'm gifted at all. Honestly, I'm one. You know, there's a lot of jobs where. You know, like Michael Jordan was just born to shoot a basketball or Manny Ramirez was just born to swing a bat, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think that I was definitely born to play cards or whatever, but it took a lot of hard work. It took a lot of time to, you know, basically kind of study the game, prepare, and a lot of trials and, you know, you know errors. And uh, I've had my also my fair share of a lot of fail, you know, attempts, driving across the country 24 hours, playing a tournament and busting five hours and then 
having to spend the night there and then driving back home. You know, so uh, there, you know, it's not it's not quite as you know easy and glamorous as everybody thinks it is. But there's a lot of, you know, there's a, a lot of missed barbecues in there somewhere. You know, family events in there yeah. that you have to kind of sacrifice because uh, you have to go play the HPT. You know, six hours away. So. Uh, I, I, but I, but I can say that I've been very fortunate and I've been very consistent in my career. And that's, uh, that's because I play, you know, a lot of online and help, you know, bankroll myself as well too. Uh, you know, I mentioned earlier, I, right off the bat, I started playing online and I think that helped create it, you know, like, you know, good fundamentals in my game, uh, good awareness in my game. And it carries over to the live arena where a lot of these guys aren't, you know, getting as many hands dealt to them as I am getting online. And so I think uh, experience definitely helps at the felt. And so uh, I've been very lucky that I've been consistent and playing online, you know, kind of evens out the variance out a little bit and helps, you know, you make a little bit more profit. If you only play a couple of tournaments live a week or, you know, monthly, it's, it's going to be really hard to uh, sustain, um, your, your, your profession. I, I would say that for sure. So just no substitute for experience. No, not at all. Yeah. Well, let's, let's take a quick break and we will be right back. Running Aces Casino and Racetrack has the best poker room in Minnesota. Featuring 24-7 promos on all cash poker games, including earning $2 per hour in comps, plus the most player-friendly tourney structures. Visit runaces.com for daily promotions and the tournament calendar. Running Aces Casino and Racetrack, the official sponsor of Rec Poker. All right, cool. So let's uh, let's shift gears again. As you as you play all these tournaments, and some of them local, some of them as you travel, you're playing different levels. I know you you continue to move up in the game and are playing more of the bigger tournaments. But what what do you see as the most common mistakes when you're sitting at the table and observing, and you just you just know uh, these are mistakes that people are making? What are the kind of those categories of of things that you see? That people make mistakes at the table. Yeah, yeah. As you're watching the play, you know whether it's less experienced players or even experienced players. Mm-hmm. You know when you're when you're sitting there, you're going, you're going, boy, that that's a mistake. What? Yeah. Well, well, some of the, uh, I mean, some of the most common ones, um, I think, are just you know like sim- simple ones like overplaying or overvaluing a certain hand, uh, getting married to a certain hand. I mean, betting to protect their hands or. Uh, just simply just like betting to find out where they're at. And I think you see a lot of this at, you know, like uh, at the live, you know, uh, setting. Uh, but I let, well, 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 let me talk about what I, I think I see. And then, you know, if you don't mind, I'll tell you what I had problem with, you know, in my career. Yeah, I uh, love that. Yeah. I uh, So so like hands such as like, you know, let's say if you have aces on 910, diamond, diamond, X or whatever. And, you know, a lot of people, there's 5K in the pot or whatever, and they go all in for $20,000 $20, because they, you know, feel like they have to protect their aces or whatever. Right. right. And so like they're never just, you know, they're just never getting called unless, you know, they're flipping against like a straight flush draw, some sort of combo draw or, you know, whatever. And sometimes they get check raised instead of just calling and going to showdown or making a decision at a later street, they end up like, you know, uh, going all in to protect their equity even more, uh, which I think is, you know, a mistake. So I think these are just the common mistakes. Uh, bet sizing, I see a lot of that. And, you know, I see a lot of people complain about, you know, having like uh, a certain hand they hate or having a, you know, favorite hand that they play under any circumstances. Mm-hmm. Which is, I think, also, you should never have a favorite hand or you should never really have a hand you hate. You should probably just uh, 
<clears throat> you try to play every single hand as best you you know as you can. Right. Yeah, and then uh, I think um, one of the big things for me is like players, you know, giving up, you know, especially early in tournaments. You know, say we start with twenty thousand in chips or whatever, and in the first hour they lose fifteen thousand of that. Mm-hmm. Have you know twenty five big blinds left, and they're you know ready to reach in their pocket for bullet number two. Uh, you know, I think that every tournament I've won or you know gone, you know, made made, made a run in the past. Uh, I've been at or below 10 big blinds, and I think I, I, I've told m- numerous people, you know, these stories that I've, you know, like, came back and won tournament from, like, six blinds or whatever, and, you know, nobody seems to believe me, but it's true. It's true, and uh, I, I think a lot of, I, I think that's one mistake that I definitely see live is uh, people, uh, you know, just taking a beat early and then basically giving up or so. Yeah, so they, they, they don't recognize the equity they still have in their stack, or they're, mm. I, I think a lot of people in you know, to piggyback on that a little bit too, I hear people talking about their stack relative to the average stack all the time in early in tournaments, and they might have 50 big blinds, but they think, well, I'm, I'm a, I was half of average, so I had to get going. I'm like, well, you had 50 big blinds. Yeah. You know, I think that's one thing that's overrated, and I even I see some of the top pros doing that, which I never understood, uh, is when average is, say, 50,000, and everyone writes, you know, they have, you know, 30,000, which is below average, while 30, you know, thousand is... 40 BB or whatever, you know, right. especially in a tournament, you know, such as like the 10K main event where you're sitting at 80 BB and you're below average, you know, on day two or whatever, you know, <laughs> right. people panic. And I, I you know, I, I, I've, you know, I've just never understood that. I've always just uh, considered my stack by a uh, number of big blinds and see how long I can last in this tournament without playing a hand. So that's, so that's exactly why, why you consider number of big blinds is, the number of rotation you're going to get dealt until you get blind out. And so I, I think average and stuff like that shouldn't even matter. And it's one of those concepts that I, I've, I've actually been kind of noodling, developing a, a little mini training for people just from a, a statistical perspective too. If the average is, say, you know, 50,000 chips, you've got so many people that are well above average and so many people that are short stacked. Mm-hmm. And I think to say, oh, I've got, you know, I've got half of the average, I think is very misleading. Because you think, oh, that means I'm behind. That means I'm behind the entire field. Well, you still might be in the, you know, ahead of a third of the people that are in the field in terms of your chip stack. If you're worried about kind of your relative standing. Right, right. Yeah, I think you should ignore. You know, like I, I, I never really look at the average stack. I like that just never really bothers me. I just look at the amount of blinds I've left and you know uh, what what you know like what my opening ranges are now with certain stacks and how best to play my certain number of big blinds. Um, I, I think that's all you should worry about. You should not worry about how much the chip leader has or anything like that or the humongous stacks at your table. I mean, it's, you know, I think you're going to be intimidated if you're always, you know, trying to play catch up or, or look at other stacks compared to yours. Yeah, I think if you if you think that the uh, the name of the game is really making the optimal decision at the right time, whenever you allow those things to enter your mind, I think it it, it can force you to play suboptimally. Because you start yeah. you start chasing you know uh, chasing the money and and you're not making the right decisions then. Hey, you you talked yeah. about mistakes with bet sizing, and I'm curious. I'd like to explore that a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Uh, do, do you see a lot of that more on like pre flop bet sizing or post flop or both? And maybe you can expand a little bit on what what sort of subcategories of bet sizing mistakes you see. Yeah, um, you know I, I I see it a lot. You know post-flop and both, you know, pre-flop as well. You know, like 
a lot of the people, they have aces or kings or a big hand, you know, a big holding, and they kind of want to protect it a little bit more. So their size is a little beefier pre-flop. And then, you know, post-flop and stuff like that. So let's say if, you know, I open with ace-ace, um, you know, like the cutoff or whatever, and Steve Freeland, you know, peels me from the big blind, and the flop <laughs> comes seven-six-deuce, you know, rainbow. You know, like here, if we have ace-ace, I think that our sizing here, let's say if there's 10,000 in the pot, our sizing here should be the same as ace-ace or or if I have 10-8 off on uh, seven-six-deuce. Mm-hmm. You know, like 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 my bluff here with 10-8 with two overs and a gut shot should be the same as ace-ace. So I think the correct, you know, like strategy here would be exactly, you know, like the same 35% bet. And I see a lot of people because they have ace-ace here on seven-six-deuce rainbow they go 8,000 or even 10,000 on seven, six deuce rainbow, which is, you know, definitely incorrect in, in, in my opinion. You know, so that's uh, that's that's a sizing flaw that uh, maybe the lesser, uh, you know, experience uh, make that I, I, I do see. Um, but I think the correct play would be just to choose the same sizing here. So I'm curious, like, okay, in terms of why it's incorrect, is it, I mean, one is you're being inconsistent with your bet sizes, so potentially you could be tipping your hand as to the strength. Is, is the other mistake that you're you're really forcing your opponent into playing more optimally, or, or what's that? Uh, I, I'm I'm sorry, I, I don't think I. Understand. Oh, sorry. So like, I, I feel like there's and correct me if I'm wrong. See, I'm always transparent on these things, and I'd love for people to correct me. So I, I guess I see two mistakes on, on making the big bet size there compared to what you normally would do with a bluff. One is that you're giving away the strength of your hand, and the good players are going to be paying attention and knowing that the size of your bet means something. Mm-hmm. And then the other one is, are you, I think one of the things that in, in poker you want to, you want to force your opponents to play suboptimally to make mistakes. Correct. And so I feel like when you're making a big bet there, they're only going to call you with something that's, you know, like you said, either the massive draw, the straight flush draw, mm-hmm. uh, but I guess it's an unsuited board, or they're going to, you know, be calling you with sets, things that beat you. Right. You know, let's say here they continue on seven six deuce rainbow, like they could continue once with you know like a like a top pair like king seven or right. seven eight or okay. whatever, or even you know a second pair. I mean, we do want to induce those hands to continue. Right. And and when we're bluffing here with ten eight or ten nine or whatever, and a good you know barrel card comes on the turn like a queen king or an ace or so, we're still continuing. You know, we're 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 still barreling. So we're basically telling the same story with two different hands. Um, and so I, I think, I think that, you know, a lot of the people, they don't, you know, they don't realize that they just go ahead and bet big here with aces and then, you know, say, you know, a seven comes or, or say, you know, the same card comes on, on the turn, like, like a queen or whatever. And they go ahead and, you know, uh, fire again and, you know, they, they, they lose action or else, you know, somebody else catches up and they lose action or whatever. Um. I think I think I think it should be played exactly the same way if we're going to keep you know try try to keep balance in there along with our nuts and our bluffs. Right, and I think one of the things that you know less experienced players deal with too is that you know we're not necessarily paying attention to as many things as we should be, mm-hmm. um, and so I think we assume that other people aren't paying the same level of attention. I think you know you always assume that people are playing the same way you're playing, and so one of the things I've noticed is you know as I've moved up in the games, you know you start playing the two eighties or the, even the eleven hundreds. Mm-hmm. Is that people like yourself are now paying attention to those things, whereas, you know, in the thirty dollar, fifty dollar tournaments, I can change my bet sizing all I want, and nobody's really paying attention. Right. Well, well, even though they're not paying attention, 
I think that you should also work on paying attention to yourself and yeah. doing things yourself um, and, and start practicing, you know, like uh, good gameplay in game. Yep. Um, and, uh, and, and, and when you, and when you see something that, you know, you can uh, exploit, uh, then you can go from there. But I think that like, you know, let's say if, you know, like on a hand like this, I think that it doesn't matter if we're playing a $5,000 tournament or a, you know, $50 tournament, Monday morning tournament, uh, mm-hmm. that we should go ahead and choose the same sizing here. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and, and, and I think that, I, I think that leads to, you know, one, you know, some, you know, some of the things that I've made, you know, uh, mistakes on in the past, you know, coming up in my career as well too, is, you know, I, you know, like a lot of, you know, like a lot of times in the past, I, I've been very aggressive and it's more of like a bluffing game. It's almost like, a war zone out there for me where <laughs> it doesn't matter what the flop is for me. I'm, I'm, I'm betting the flop and I'm not considering what the turn is. I'm betting the turn again. And it, you know, let's say if they're strong, I'm, I'm, I'm just basically letting them know that I'm stronger, which is, which is, you know, um, uh, basically trying, you know, trying, trying, trying to push everyone off every single pot every time. Yeah. And I think, I think that's, 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 that's also one of the mistakes that I made, uh, coming up. And it's, you know, it's, you know, poker is really not a bluffing game. It's, it's, you know, a game of information and it's a game of maximizing and minimizing. And, uh, you know, we just go from there. So do you feel like you've, you've changed, uh, in the last couple of years too, in terms of your, your level of aggression? I have, I think I've game, uh, you know, I think I've changed more to uh, a game, you know, uh, 30 approach. Uh, however, I definitely still have some of that, you know, uh, uh, blood in me where I, I you know sometimes it, it comes out and you still want to you, know, <laughs> you still have to kind of hold yourself back a little bit uh, back because this is too tempting in certain spots but uh, you know every spot I see and I think if it makes sense I just go for it anyways but uh, in the last couple <laughs> of years I feel like my game has definitely changed uh, quite a bit and I think it's all for the better it's it's I, I think it's more suited towards you know bigger tournaments and making deep runs in, in, in some big events and uh you know, I've had I, I've had tremendous help in the last couple of years. I uh, met uh, Vlad in the last you know two and a half years, and also yeah. Aaron as well. And they have been uh, basically my coach and my life coach and life mentors uh, in the last couple of years. So I think they've done a, a very good job, and uh, really appreciate uh, just the fact that I found the two of them. That's so awesome, and they've they've got so much respect for you. I've chatted with both of them too, and they're just great guys as well. It seems like you guys have a great thing going there. And I was going to mention Aaron as well because you, you talked about you know maybe changing your aggressive nature a little bit. Um, you know one of the, one of the greatest learnings I had was a few years ago. I had just started playing poker, maybe three four years ago. Mm-hmm. And you and I and Aaron all made a final table up in Grand Casino Malax or something. It might have been like their Grand Series or an MSPT. Yeah, I remember that. It was uh, it was an eleven hundred, correct? Uh, that or a three fifty. I'm not sure which one it was. Um, okay. But you know, I had a chance to play with you with like two tables left. We were playing quite a bit together, and then we combined. Uh, you know, and Aaron joined the table. I think, and I was, it was interesting because I knew both of you guys were just these these powerhouse poker players. You know, very well respected, great games, and just the dynamic. It was so interesting because you were hammering pots. You know, mm. you were raising and three-betting and raising and three-betting uh, because I think the table allowed you to do that. And right. Aaron was much more patient, and then when he had a hand, he'd you know win a nice big pot. And it was so interesting to watch the, the dynamic of those two different styles both have success, and that's when I realized, okay, so there is more than one way to play this game. Absolutely. 
Yeah, so that that was super fun, super interesting for me to to kind of experience that. So, other other mistakes that you think you've made uh, over the years that that might be helpful for people to learn from? Yeah, you know, uh, one other thing I I think that uh, I'm, I'm you know that I'm really well aware of now is like in the past I've never really considered every option on every single street. You mm. know, like example, you know, let's say you know Steve Freeland raises an IPL with like King Nine offsuit or whatever in the big blind, and the plot comes King Ten Four. I check call, and now like the turn comes a King. And like in the past, you know, because I've tripped kings here, I would always check it to you, hoping like you, uh, coat for coat, hang yourself, or you know, go ahead and made a you know like a, a mistake here by betting. Yeah. Right? And a lot of times they get checks back, and then you lose value there, and then you bet the river, and they just somehow end up folding like ace high or whatever, mm. or whatever. So yeah. I think that uh, you know, like learning to assess every single street is really really important. I, I you know a lot of the uh, lesser uh, experienced players. Do not put a lot of thoughts into, uh, you know, basically, you know, taking a look at all their options before acting. And so, you know, just even now, like I have, you know, my some some family members or some, you know, uh, cousins coming over, watching me play sometimes or, you know, just wanting to play themselves. And I watch them play and they would turn trips or they would make, you know, you know, trips on the river or whatever. And they just go ahead and check and, you know, they lose a ton of value. So I think reassessing and seeing. Uh, you know what you can do in every single uh, you know every single turn card or river card or whatever um, has has helped me out a lot in the last few years as well for sure. And I assume that's a lot of experience because I, I think about that as if I'm really on my A game, I'm trying to think through those things. Right. But it, it takes me it takes me a while to actually walk through that process in my head, and I you know I don't want to be tanking on every decision. So you know like what. Something like that. Like, what are the main factors? So, you know, you turn you turn the third king. Mm-hmm. You know, what are the main factors that you're considering? You know, you, I mean, the, the situation stays the same. You're out of position. Mm-hmm. You know, everything else is the same. Is it just about that person that you're playing against? Is it about the stack sizes? I mean, what what are those key things that make you decide, should I be checking here or should I be leading out? Yeah, uh, well, well, all those things are definitely to consider. Let's uh, let well, let's just put ourselves in a neutral position first. I mean, like let's say here on a king nine. Let's let's say I defended with king nine. The flock comes king ten three two clubs or whatever. Uh, and you know I you know I check to you. You bet, and the river comes a king. Like I know that if you have some sort of flush draw, straight draw here, you know you're just most likely you know you're just most likely checking back on the turn, right? Mm-hmm. So, so you know, if I check here and you check behind the river, it comes a four, and I lead on on the river on the river with a bet. Like all your draws are just you know, uh, you know, pitching it anyway. So yeah, you know, I I might as well just lead the turn. I mean, let's uh, lead the turn, and now we can go into sizing and stuff like that. Let's say if you only have, uh, you know, like one and a half to you know two pot ratio left, I can go like thirty percent and bomb river as if you know I miss you know some sort of draw myself right. as well. But uh, you know, like you know, I I, I, I I think that just looking at, at you know at, at a neutral uh, stance, like you know, with with no stacks in play, um, I think the, my my main topic here is to consider every single street before you act, and that that does come with experience, such as you know you know you know what what you just mentioned. But uh, yeah, I mean, if you take five to ten, you know, if you take five to ten seconds, you know, before acting on each street, I don't think anyone's going to call the clock on you. I mean, we're playing for right. tremendous amount of money. I mean, even though let's say first place is a thousand dollars, and you know, it's not a lot of money to you. I mean, it's a lot of money to me. You know, so um, 
I, I don't think people are going to get on you if you you know if you try to play your best game at the at, at the table. No, for sure, for sure. It just I think that's where you know what can I process in five or ten seconds? That's where the experience comes in because some of those things that I think a lot of us have to still you know almost have a, a, a logical decision tree framework for you've been yeah. able to internalize those and they just come you know quite naturally. Right. Yeah. So, uh, you know, next time I fulfill, I, I think, you know, in, in, in order to, in order to start getting good at, at poker, I mean, you just have to look at all your options. Uh, you know, the flop, you know, you know, consider like what, what, what's, what's, what's the best checking, betting, you know, check raising, look at all your options. I mean, don't just, you know, check to be checking or don't just check hoping for someone to bet or because you know, they're going to bet, you know, like a lot of, you know, a lot of times you could be wrong as well too. So do what is best for yourself and not what, you know, and 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 yeah. has it always been a, a part of your game, or is it something you've had to work on in terms of thinking ahead to what your opponent might do? Um, in in a number of the games that I play, I'll see people, you know, people raise and then they get three bet, and they're like, oh, now I got to figure out what to do. Or they three bet and then they get shoved on, and it's like, oh, I never even thought about that might being a you know that being a possibility. Uh, is is that part of your game that you've had to develop to really think through what am I going to do if this happens? Yeah, well, I think that's just something that comes with experience uh, once again, and uh, for for me nowadays, it just comes naturally, you know. So, like, you know, on let's 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 use that same example. Uh, so, let's say on the river, I make trips. On the river, I make trips, and it completes the flush. And there's ten thousand dollars in the pot. And I have king. I have king nine, and now on the river, I have three kings. But the flush got there. Right. Yep. Like, you know, and, and there's ten thousand dollars in the pot. Like my sizing here would probably be like somewhere between like sixty five to eight thousand dollars, because I know that if I go eight thousand dollars here, you're just never raising me on the river, uh, you know, without a flush here or without, you know, having a full house. So every time you call me here, it's like I'm winning like 100 percent of the time. Right. Mm-hmm. So so like like and so like my, like. Like right here, I'm pretty much I'm prepared. I'm I'm prepared to fold if I make an eight thousand dollar bet on the river and you go ahead and rip on me. Uh, I probably take 10, 15 seconds to you know evaluate again. But I mean, like like I like like it just becomes naturally that if I get raised here, you know I'm most likely beat. But we should still be leading on this river. You know we should be leading on this river because some of the times when it's going to go check check and we make trip kings and we just lose value on it anyways. Right. So, so yeah, no, that that's really good because you're gonna get you will get called by less. Right. Uh, so, right. but how is that different from um, playing devil's advocate and just trying to understand your brain a little bit? So, how is that different from betting thirty five hundred or four thousand because you want to get called by inferior hands and then getting raised? Is it because that four thousand seems weak, so a re raise doesn't mean what it would if you're betting eight thousand? Yeah. Well, sometimes we level ourselves into you know. Um, into thinking because we have we made a smaller bet that we are going to get raised and you know a lot of people let's say you're playing against a carl where you know you're you 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 know they're not scared to put in that extra bet yeah <laughs> uh, like a four thousand dollar here sometimes you level yourself into calling his you know uh raise to twenty thousand or whatever but i think in order to truly protect us and to get the most value uh every time we get called here we should just go ahead and, uh, and mash it here just because a lot of the times when they have aces in their hand or, you know, whatever, or second pair or whatever, yeah. uh, they're, you know, they're just not raising you. They're just calling, they're just calling you there all the time. And so we should just maximize our, our spot here. And not only that, but protect ourselves to, to our full uh, ability there where we're just never getting raised. I, I, I think. So your, your, your intent is to show strength 
because mm-hmm. that makes their re-raise much more believable. Uh, correct. Right. Yeah. Okay. Wow. That's that's good stuff. Yeah. So let, let's shift gears a little bit as well. I'm I'm curious. Like, what are some of the the hardest concepts that you that you've had in terms of trying to grasp them or or be able to execute them or internalize them? Like, um, I know for for new people learning the game, you know, there's this. I, oh, let me help. Under, let me understand. You know, three betting. Let me understand C betting or check raising or what are my opening hand ranges? Are there certain concepts that you've had to really work hard or um, that at one day just kind of clicked <laughs> as far as yeah, understanding think, the strategy? I, I, you know, I think I think that, you know for playing for MTT for as long as I have, you know, I I what uh I think I should have uh, got a better grasp of it, you know, much you know sooner than than it is now. But I think like. Creating your three bet folds and your four bet folds are are are, are uh, you know like really tough for me in the beginning because I never really had hands where I could decide on what to do with it, and so sometimes it would just be random clicking like, oh Steve has three bet me you know numerous time here and I have like the nine three off here I'm just gonna go ahead and four bet it here mm-hmm. uh, four bet fold here but I think. In the last couple of years, with the help of uh, along with Aaron and Vlad, I think that we have figured out not not you know like preflop has pretty much kind of been solved uh, a little bit you know like like in in the first raise and second raises and and stuff like that. But I think when it comes down to like three betting or four betting or even five you know like like even four betting for value or four betting for you know for bluff you know like I think we have kind of. Uh, uh, figure that out quite a bit in the last couple of years of you know hands we choose to do it with and hands we choose to pass up or hands we used to uh, you know four bet you know uh, get it in with so I think that's one of like the uh, I, I'm not sure if that was your question but I think that was one thing that it took me a long time to kind of figure out oh, you know what what I want to do when it gets up to that level and I think we've kind of you know found out a little bit, you know, uh, better in the last couple of years, that's for sure. No, that's for sure part of my question. That's great. I mean, because I, I think about uh, my, myself, and I'm sure it's reflective of some of the other uh, less experienced players, is, okay, I finally got a pretty good handle on, I think, what I want to do for my opening ranges, mm-hmm. um, you know, and what to do with the three bet against those ranges in whatever position I'm in. But yeah, right. it's kind of that next level as I move up in tournaments, you know, where I'm moving away from t- tournaments where, okay, it's just limps or a single race, and now there is a lot of three-betting and four-betting going on. Well, mm-hmm. how do I feel about that? You know, and instead of just being surprised when I three-bet with ace-jack and I get four-bet on, right? how do I feel about that? Yeah, I think that's good. And so when you guys look at it, you don't need to reveal all the secrets, of course, but it, is it kind of like um, determining your opening hand range? I mean, is it really like down to that level where you say, Here's my three betting range, my four betting range, my three bet fold, my three bet shove, you know, all these different things. And then obviously you adjust to the chip stacks and player dynamics. But is it kind of in the same vein as opening hand ranges? You just kind of know what you're going to three bet and four bet with? Yep, 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 correct. So say here, you know, we're opening ace three suited, you know, like hijack, right? Yep. And uh, we get, you know, let's say four, uh, let's say, uh, let, let's say we get three bet by the button or whatever. And so, like right here, this this will fall into my uh, four bet, you know, like uh, bluff uh, range right here. From you know certain a sacks to certain a sacks. I mean, this this is I'm gonna make it, or from certain king x to certain king x suited, I'm gonna make it a point to where this is my four betting uh, bluff range. 
and uh, from you know certain you know pairs to to aces or from certain aces to uh, suited to ace king suited it's going to be my you know four bet and get in range versus him mm. right so yeah. that's so so you start developing uh, developing that and it's kind of uh, you know some sort of, you know it's it's basically the same chart as you know like opening from UTG or opening from low jack or opening from button. But mm-hmm. uh, it's just that next, uh, next, you know, like it's just that next bet, like the three betting to five betting now. It's, so I, yeah, it took, it took me a long time to develop what I would like to do beyond that first raise or second raise. But I think that we've done a pretty good job in the last couple of years. Well, I, w- I would love to explore that, the, the ACE three uh, hand, because um, mm-hmm. I'm kind of where you're at on that, but I know that's a, it's a shocking sort of thing to hear you say that. Just yep. kind of in in passing for a lot of the yep. recreational players because you know ace three obviously not a powerful hand right uh, and you and you raise with it and then you got three bet mm-hmm. and instead of just folding now you're four betting and so right. what, what's kind of what are some of the things that go into that thought process of saying why is ace three a good four betting uh, range bluff against mm-hmm. a button three bet mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so are you asking me that question right now yeah if you're willing to answer it. Yeah. Well, well, first of all, it's not the best of our aces. Uh, uh, and second of all, you know, it's uh, let's say if we do get peel, we can still make all the nut, you know, flushes. We can still make all the wheels. Um, and we have an ace blocker. You know, we have an ace block, which means he le- less likely have ace sex himself or pocket aces even. And uh, <clears throat> sometimes when we get uh, peel here, you know, we can still flop an ace against all his pairs, you know, like kings down onto you know, nines or whatever that he decides to peel us. Or whatever it is, and we can still hit, you know, uh, an ace in there, and just, you know, basically check defend our hand, or you know, check call a couple, uh, you know, you know, check call two two streets and decide, you know. So uh, it's not a hand, you know. He he also should still have some three betting ranges, uh, you know, bluff as well too that plays a little better than our hand, like such as like king nine suited or maybe even like six seven suited. That if we just flat there, you know, out of position, you know, we're just going to get pillaged a lot of the times, you know, right. because even though his starting hand is worse than ours, you know, he has more playability, more, uh, more, more, more flops than we do. So we just go ahead and, uh, you know, four bet here and have him, you know, have him fogo, so we don't have to deal with that uh, post flop. But if we do to, but if we do get to get get to post, that our hand can still have some playability as well. And so if I think about it in terms of, you know, the value of your hand being both fold equity and hand equity, mm-hmm. it's, it's a play that you'd make against a button because they have a wider range more than you'd make against, uh, you know, somebody from, from earlier position. Correct. Correct. Yep. Yep. And, uh, well, even I get some, uh, you know, you know, let's say if same spot, we're in the hijack and let's say like plus two nine handed, we're at a, we're at a nine handed table and plus two opens. You know, instead of peeling there in the hijack where we're going to get some peel from like the cutoff button and sometimes the small blind, the big blind will come will come along as well, too. And, you know, we're going to be a multi-way pot. I mean, it's 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 just, you know, it's just better just to go ahead and free bet here as well. So, OK. Yeah. And I think that that, that notion of the blocker, maybe expand on that yeah. a little bit. I think people underestimate that. If, I guess what I'm thinking of is you've, you've got this per, you put this person on a range and they've got a lot of, you know, ace king, ace queen, ace jack, pocket aces are all kind of part of that broader range. But because right. you have an ace, that diminishes the the probability of those. Is that how you're thinking about that? That is correct. That is correct. Yeah, that's uh, that's it, you know, it's fun stuff. It's fun stuff. I think uh, in the last couple of years, we've you know, we uh, we've 
you know, we've had a better idea, develop like better ideas of how to, uh, you know, use our three bets, four bets, and even five bets sometimes. And uh, not only that, but just kind of, you know, uh, developing more game theory approach where, you know, every decision is to minimize, maximize, or, you know, off certain ranges of, you know, our opponents and stuff like that. And so it's not, you know, uh, poker has changed quite a bit in the last couple of years. It's just no longer the day of, uh, you know, random clicking out there. So, right. um, you know, there's a lot of tools um on the internet, you know, out in the market that can help everyone. And some of them, you know, aren't, I mean, they're, they're, they're not very cheap a lot, but there's still a lot of free, you know, you know, a ton of free stuff out there as well too. And you have to kind of be, uh, you know, studying and learning or else, uh, you know, you're, you're every time you join a tournament, you're just going to be putting in debt money. So, yeah. So, so we'll take a break here in a second, but just real quick on higher mm-hmm. level, a pre-flop or post-flop play, which, which gives you the most, uh, which which gives you the most difficulty, or which do you think you're better at, or which do you have to study more? Mm-hmm. Definitely post flop, post flop, uh, post turn, post uh, river. Uh, I think those are you know I think I think every I think every street gets a little tougher and tougher just because there's more uh, possibilities out there now. There's more cards out there now, so I think the easiest for me is pre flop. Uh, pre flop is almost somewhat solved, I think. Um, I, I I know for sure I have not solved it. <laughs> but I think I think uh, I think the heart you know after flop it gets a little tougher uh, after a turn it gets you know even tougher and then river um, you know sometimes you're going to be put in some very tough spots uh, because there's so many more there's millions of combinations of you know board runouts that you that you may not be prepared for that only experience can help you with. Uh, and every 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 runout is just different, and so you know if you you know start training your 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 runout, you know memorize you know memorize certain runouts or to you know to protect yourself in certain ways, such as you know let's say we race with jack nine of clubs and the the, the flock comes king nine three two diamonds, like we know the best to protect ourselves here is to go ahead and check after he checks to us, and then you know let's say the turn is a six a heart or whatever checks to us we're gonna go for a little bit of value here so that. You know, sometimes he may, you know, sometimes he checks you us on the river, he, he may just check fold. And so we want to protect our equity and get a little bit of value in there. So there's certain runouts that, you mm-hmm. know, are very simple like this that, you know, it's it's not it's not difficult. But there are numerous other, you know, spots. Uh, the more happening pre-flop, the more, you know, the, you know, the tougher it is, you know, post-flop. So if there's, you know, three bets, four bets pre-flop, you know, and, you know, the runouts going to be a little tougher to, you uh, to read so uh yeah it's something that you know experience uh, will help you out with a little bit but i think it's something that you know i still have to work on every day myself as well that good stuff well let's take a quick break we'll be right back running aces casino and racetrack has the best poker room in minnesota featuring 24 7 promos on all cash poker games including earning two dollars per hour in comps plus the most player-friendly tourney structures visit runaces.com for daily promotions and the tournament calendar, Running Aces Casino and Racetrack, the official sponsor of Rec Poker. All right, uh, so home stretch here, Koo. Uh, thanks for all this, man. I could pick your brain for hours. Um, I'm c- curious about physical tells and your thoughts on that as far as how much do you value those, how much do you incorporate them into your decision-making, all of that stuff. I, you know, I, it's, I have never really put a whole lot of thought into physical tell. I've, 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 I've had some, I've made some very big calls in my career 
uh, where the guy puts me, the guy asks for my chip count on the river, stands up and puts me in, you know, and, and I end up calling off because whenever somebody has the nut, they're just not going to stand up and put you all in. Uh, mm. You know, a lot of the times they go into this little shell and, uh, uh, you know, they put you in or whatever. So I, so I've made a lot of tough call offs in my career, uh, when, where, where I, you know, put, you know, been put to the test, but I, I've never, you know, put a whole lot into it. I think it just comes naturally for me. Uh, when, whenever the cards are being dealt, uh, I look at each, you know, uh, person's, you know, fingers or, or hands or whatnot, but, uh, I think that gives me the most hell. Uh, facial expression, I think, can lie. I think sometimes eyes can lie as well, too. I think that sometimes people don't realize how they act at the table and may give something off here and there. But I, you know, I, I think I rely a lot more, maybe 95% fundamentals more than reads, than, more than life uh, reads or anything. And I think a lot of the reads that I've had in the past is because it, it just, something just comes up naturally. Right. Okay. So it really would have to be a pretty, uh, you know, it'd have to be a pretty obvious tell for you to to kind of have it influence your decision. Yeah, like I like I'm you know you know Chris Foxwall is, is a good friend of mine. I know he's really big into tells and stuff like that. And I think he probably even has a chapter on tell in in his book. I'm not mm-hmm. sure, but uh, I'm not real. I mean, I'm not in gold or scare everybody and you know basically try to get a read out of them. I I. I uh, you know, it's uh, sometimes it just comes out naturally, and you just know that this guy's not acting normal, or this guy is just not breathing normal, or, mm-hmm. or, or whatever, or this guy is just doing certain things that you just haven't seen before, and you try to, you know, make a best case possible read out on that situation. But I, I think I think uh, live tells uh, are very very important for sure. But I, I do not, you know, I I, I would say maybe five to ten percent of my my decision making is based on you know um, that. And I know some people say, you know, I use I use tells to help me figure out, okay, this guy based on his uh, his actions, obviously he wants me to fold, or obviously he wants me to call. And what I'm uh-huh. hearing from you is maybe more of that can be discerned from the betting patterns and yes. what, he, what he's done on each street. Right, 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 right. Uh, yes, I so I follow a lot of that. That's exactly that's exactly it. I, I think I just follow a lot more of the fundamental base of you know like the course of the hand history that you know that we just went through or you know certain betting uh betting patterns or you know certain hands that i saw in the last you know um couple orbits or in the last couple hours or, or so and so much more than you know the you know his his acting as of now right okay that's good all right yeah. well on, on the home stretch here i got a couple more questions but uh, for for newer players or even for experienced players, what advice do you have for them as far as how do they how do they improve their skill? How do they learn the game? How can they sort of speed up their development as a poker player? Love this question. Uh, play online. It is your best source of learning fundamentals. I mean, you know, for for me and Vlad, you know, we call it the streets. Uh, you know, it's where we go to battle and. Um, you're, you're just going to get so many more hands per minute. You're just going to get so many more hands per hour. You know, if you bust a tournament, you don't have to go drive home, to, you know, you know, and come back tomorrow for another tournament. You know, you can just log back in. Fundamentals are just so, so important today in today's poker world that, you know, not a lot of live pros are just going to make it. You know, if you if you play two, three tournaments a month uh, as a hobby, it's OK. You know, if you play recreationally. Uh, you know, for side income, it's okay. But if you, you know, want to pursue uh, professional poker or even just, you know, uh, 
part-time, you know, part, uh, part-time poker pro playing in, you know, in the future, I, I suggest that playing online, it is your absolutely best source. You can still make some money. Uh, and you can just, I mean, that's, that's, that's just where you're just going to learn, you know, if, you know, as, as for, for me personally, as many books as I've read, as many videos as I've, I've watched, playing is just my best learning tool. So do you have any, if, if you're willing to, do you have any recommendations on where people would play online and, and I guess your perspective on how safe it is and, and that sort of thing? Yeah, um, I think it's fairly safe uh, right now. I mean, there's always that, you know, the you know the risk. I'm not sure uh, the Unlawful Act uh, never really specified what it is, but I, I, I there's always some sort of risk. But I think uh, in the last couple of years, it has been pretty safe. And I play mostly on... Uh, the Winning Poker Network, which has uh, three or four different skins. I think the most popular one is America's Card Room. Mm-hmm. Second one is Poker Hosts. And third one is Black Chip Poker, along with uh, True Poker. So I think there's four different skins. And I play on there weekly, uh, starting around you know noon till all the way till about midnight. There's you know tournaments around the clock, ranging anywhere from you know one dollar to two hundred dollars. So. Uh, that's uh, that's that's for, for for me personally. That's just uh, where 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 I prefer to play. Okay, good stuff. And then any other uh, as far as <clears throat> in addition to playing online, any other ways that you'd recommend people develop their game? Yeah, uh, watch all the free tools that you can possibly get your hands on. YouTube has a whole bunch of good stuff. I, I believe you guys are working with uh, Jonathan Lowe in some sort of uh, way. Yeah, we're doing a, an audio book club. Yep, uh, Jonathan Lowe has a, a lot of good stuff. Uh, there's uh, Twitch, a lot. Of, there's a lot of good stuff on Twitch. I'm sure you know this already. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jason Somerville is really good. There's a lot of good. You know, I, I'm, I'm actually very shocked. There's a lot of very good player online legends. Uh, you know, twitching their, their their sessions for free. You know, for you know on, online for everyone to view. And so take advantage of that. Uh, one of my very favorite, and I think that he's just. Uh, just the best fundamentally sound player as far as uh, the game nowadays is Doug Polk. He has a training site. I'm also I I'm also a subscriber on there as well too. And it costs a little bit of money for the uh, more advanced stuff, but I highly recommend that if you if you want to truly learn fundamental poker and get good at poker, I I, I think Doug Doug Polk's site Upswing Poker is probably the best there is out in the market right now. Good stuff. So so obviously. You know, somebody at your level still working on your game. How do you, how Absolutely. do you kind of split your time between actually playing and development? You know, watching videos or doing whatever. Yeah, for me, I, I it, it for me it used to be a hundred percent play and zero percent like lab work. Yeah, you know, I, I just I just felt that I just had to keep you know playing uh, in order to get better. But nowadays, uh, after meeting Vlad and you know in the last couple of years, I think I split it more towards. Uh, 80% playing, 20% you know mm. study. Um, so like, mon- you know, I usually play Tuesday, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Sundays. And so my study days are you know Monday afternoon till you know about 10, 11 at night. Uh, that's that's my homework day. And then Friday mornings till you know uh, 11 a.m. till roughly about three in the afternoon. Those are my uh, study days. Uh, I think in in the in the next couple of weeks. Um, Starting mid-August here, we're actually going to have we're actually going to do more uh, more group meetups. I think we're going to try try to meet at least you know five or six hours on Mondays, 
and sometimes on uh, Friday evenings as well too. So I'm going to start trying to play less and you know do study uh, sessions or do group uh, studies with. I actually have a couple of different groups as well too. So uh, I have so I have so I have two groups to meet up with. Uh, you know, twice a week or, or once a week. So tw- twice a week for me. Okay. Uh, so I'll probably be doing more of that and just kind of gearing more towards uh, being a boat, you know, you know, you know, better poker player myself as well. Well, you know, it's super encouraging for us recreational players to know that you and Aaron and Vlad and all these other people are getting together and becoming better players. That's, that's really encouraging to us. <laughs> we are, we are. I mean, I'm, I'm, being sarcastic, I'm being sarcastic because we don't, we don't, we don't need you guys getting any better. See, yeah, well, you know, like like Aaron, Aaron, you know, Aaron can, you know, I I I love Aaron. I think Aaron can reach the moon if he, you know, you know, if he, you know, shoots for that. And uh, I I know it's been a blessing to know him, and uh, he has taught me a lot in the last couple of years. So if he's willing to meet with me every single day, I'm 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 willing to meet him. That's so cool. All right, yeah. so so last question, probably, even though I always say that, and then I have more questions, but um, how do we build this game? How do we, like you said, it, it's we are seeing momentum. We are seeing bigger fields. Uh, but one of the things that I'm trying to do with rec poker, in addition to just uh, selfishly getting to talk to people like you, is is trying to encourage you know new players to get into the game. But those that are maybe playing at, at homes or in bar leagues to go you know try the thirty dollars at the casino, and those that are playing the the small buy into the casino to move up a little bit and play more often and just kind of build the game. But from from your perspective. Uh, what's what's the strategy? Whether it's has to do with tournament structures or tournament buy-ins or whatever it is, how do we continue to build the the game? Uh, excellent question. I've 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 messed around with that idea somewhat in the past. I'm not sure what this. You know, I'm not I'm not sure what the solution is. Uh, in the past, I've been you know I've been very lucky uh, to be a part with uh, you know two tours and be uh, a part of uh, running aces casino as well too and what i did was you know for for the tours that i worked for i would uh, develop uh you know like home games you know develop like basically farm leagues where you know they come in for ten dollars or five dollars every weekend or so and try to win uh x money they can win x amount of money per night and also win you know like seats to our events you know 350 dollars events or 1100 dollars events and that way they can, you know, that way they can, uh, you know, start coming to the casino more and, you know, maybe have a chance at some success, have a chance at some real money. Uh, so I've developed a couple of farm leagues in the, in the past uh, to draw them to my own events, you know. Uh, and I think once we get them there, I think, you know, it all comes down to the experience they have there and what the casino provides. I think the casino needs to provide a flatter payout. I know because I am uh, because I am for coat for coat, you know, professional poker player, and I think I have an edge. I think that, you know, for me, it'll be best if they pay ten percent, you know, ten percent of the field, so that you know when I win, I win the most money I can I, I can get out of that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, you know, in order for us to grow poker even more here in the state, especially here where we live in in, in a state where it's, it's mostly recreational players or you know semi pros. Or just you know weekend warriors. I think we need to spread it out even more. Uh, you know a, a little better. I think we need to spread it out to maybe even fifteen. Uh, you know eighteen percent. And we sh- it should not be so top heavy. I I've, I saw some of the pay structures in uh, our local car rooms in the past you know year or so. I think it has kind of been a subject. And I've looked at it and I just think it's it's just ridiculous. And that's why you see all these shops out there. Um, that's one way I think that we can improve. 
uh, our market here. I think we that's that's one way we can grow so that we can keep money in you know a lot more people's uh, you know pocket for them to keep coming back. Um, I think if 15 is you know even 18 percent player of the field cash, you know they're gonna want to come out there again. You know the next time we have another event. You know they they're they're gonna feel like they're a winner. They're gonna keep the money in the market, uh, in, in 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 our ecosystem, and uh, that's one way to do it. I'm I'm not I, I'm not sure I'm you know I'm not sure what the solution is, but yeah. I, I, I that's one way to start. Yeah, and I you know I tend to I know that can be a controversial topic, but I tend to agree with you as well. It's it's sort of a psychological thing, just like playing the lottery is for people. They go and they buy scratch offs, and they go in with ten dollars and they leave with zero, but along the way they won. Several, you know, they they buy a bunch and they won five dollars. They won twenty dollars. They end up empty pocketed, but they feel like they won still. And I think you know, the same. Time, you know, every time I go buy five dollars worth of lottery ticket, and 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 if I win one dollar out of out of those one, I end up going back to get it. And, you no, know, to it, get myself another one. Exactly, you feel like a winner. And I think that's my mentality with cashing too. Yeah, they're min caches, but people feel like, okay, well, I didn't lose money. I can go back. I can spend it again. I can enter another tournament, or they just feel like a winner. And I, you know, I who who doesn't want to go to a casino and come away feeling like they're a winner, like they're one of the top people that got money, you know, and I think, I, I, yeah, I don't know the answer either, but I think about, say, if you if you have a field of 200 people, mm-hmm. and you pay the top 35, or, the, or first place gets 35%, mm-hmm. you know, you get a certain amount, but if that field increases from 200 to 250, and it means you only get 30% instead of 35%, mm-hmm. that's actually, like, the first place actually paid out 10% more. Mm-hmm, I mean, mm-hmm. it's actually a bigger payout if you can increase the field size, even though you're not getting as much for first place. So I think there's some arguments that can actually, I think, help help more people feel good, feel like they're winners and build the game, as well as you know increasing the overall prize pool because more of those people are playing. So it's an right. interesting, interesting conversation. It really is. And if there's anyone else out there that's really good with like payout matrix and stuff like that. And you're, you know, you have some time. I know my friend Shane Nelson is pretty good with it, and but he's a very busy guy. And if you would like to, you know, um, you know, throw some ideas out there. I mean, like, feel free to contact me, you know, as well too. And I'll look at it and let's go. Let's let's show it. You know, let's let's show it to these, you know, casinos, these tournament directors or whatever. Uh, we we can, you know, present it to them and basically, you know. You know, basically, just let them know that this is kind of what the people want, and it's all for their benefit. I mean, the more people. Coming back for poker tournaments mean the more people in their in, in, in their in their pits up there. So I I'm I'm sure they're not going to shy away from us. Good stuff. And if anybody's listening out there, and if you want to just shoot information to me with like your feedback, whatever that might be, you know, against it or for it, uh, I'm happy to collect that and then pass it on to you, Koo, and we can we can go Excellent. from there. Well, any, that's awesome. Well, any uh, I guess any final words of wisdom as we wrap up here, young man. No, I uh, once again, I really appreciate what you're doing. I really like this uh, podcast idea, and I, I've been listening in the past as well too. And thank you guys are doing a phenomenal job. Um, I would, uh, I will most likely see you guys at the next All In for Africa. I think it's uh, October, right? Yeah, we just we just shifted the date. I haven't gone real public with it yet, but October 28th. Okay. Uh, okay. So we'll we'll chat about you know maybe getting you out there as a bounty if it works out for your schedule. That'd be that'd be fantastic and. And just let me take that chance to just thank you for all you've done for that in the past. It's huge to have you big big name guys come out and play amongst the recreational players and and have fun and um, have them see a see see everybody laughing and having a good time and raising money for a good cause. Yep, yep, absolutely. So good luck to uh, everyone at the Felt, and uh, we'll see you guys. And if you see me at you know at the car room, uh, you know don't 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 hesitate to come say hi. 
Sounds good. Thanks, Coop. All right. Bye-bye. Okay, well, that does it for another episode of Rec Poker. Thanks for joining us. Thanks to our official sponsor, Running Aces. And just a reminder, if you're interested in playing All In For Africa, that's going to be October 28th. It's a Saturday, and if you want to be a bounty for that, get in touch with me, and we will hook you up if you want to uh, make a donation. Of course, that would be amazingly helpful. Uh, Just feel free to get in touch, and we will make that happen. Uh, My direct email is stevefredland at gmail.com, or you can get a a hold of me through Twitter or Facebook. Once again, thanks to Koo Vang, and thanks to all of you uh, for supporting what we're doing with Rec Poker Podcast.